today on Ag News Day. We're trying to have growers that are the innovators and growers that want to, to work and, and look at new products, products and be evaluating things that will be part of the future. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is a beautiful day in the Midwest. Some parts of it, some parts are getting some rain. I'm Mike Pearson. On today's episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast, we're joined by co-host Delaney Al. Delaney, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Actually, I think pretty much most of the Midwest was getting rain at some point, either overnight or into the morning time. And it looks like that's going to continue throughout the next couple of days here. But it was a turnaround Tuesday in the market. So we definitely saw a rally there. We'll cover that here in just a little bit. But Delaney, what other news are you seeing in the world of agriculture today? Well, Mike, of course, today is our technology-focused day. But uh, looking at some other ag news first here, I thought this was pretty interesting. We continue to follow what's going on in the fake meat sector. And Bungie, one of the world's largest grain traders, recently disclosed that it had a 1.6% stake in the Beyond Meat Company. And the stock surged about... surged more than 250% since the company made its initial um, public offering back in May. Bungie sold out and made quite a bit of money, it sounds like here. I think $9.9 billion is what the the total company is worth. Um, So Bungie made a pretty good chunk of change there in their initial investment and said they want to be part of the the company. They want to, you know, understand it. They want to have some sort of finger in the pie, so to speak, because nobody really knows what's coming in this sector for these alternative meat products. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I had a conversation with a group of farmers last night, and, uh, you know, we were just talking about how things are changing in ag, and, you know, what does this fake meat mean long term, and Nobody knows. Nobody knows. So Bungie's staking their claim. They want to be a part of it, it sounds like. Yeah, and it's been interesting. I've been listening to some folks have the conversation. Do you think that these alternative meat sources are going to be an or or an and to the conversation? Are you asking me? Yeah. What do you think? Oh, I think it's an and. I think they're here to stay. I do, too. They're going to stay a niche market. Yeah. Uh, You know, they're going to allow vegetarians and vegans to eat stuff that mostly resembles meat. And I think the interesting point, I can't remember who made it, it was maybe a producer or somebody I was chatting with yesterday, said, you know, it's probably going to be an and unless we see it come to a point where it's even cheaper to buy maybe those alternative meat sources than it is to buy actual meat because at the end of the day it seems like price is really the biggest driver for the choices that consumers make in the grocery store. Yeah, and I think that's true, but, you know, chicken is cheaper to buy than lobster, and yet lobster is still around. That's true. Good point. I mean, I'm I'm always going to buy a ribeye. I am, too. I had one last night for dinner, and it was delicious. Good for you, Delaney Howell. I had smoked brisket, and mm-hmm. it was fantastic. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Well, you know, while we're talking about uh, other protein sources, uh, one source of protein, especially grown by our friends up north, is canola. And we saw earlier this year, China took a fairly hard line on canola imports from Canada. Basically, they they never came out and said it, but it corresponded in the timeline to when China arrested the uh, vice president of Huawei. 
And the canola industry in Canada has now come out in favor of a government action to basically force China to go to the WTO, the World Trade Organization, and defend their move. So China did this. They basically revoked some import licenses from, from Canadian companies who typically ship canola over there, and they claimed that it was for phytosanitary reasons. Now, nobody else has these objections to Canadian canola, so Canadian government is going before the World Trade Organization and is asking Canada, or excuse me, asking China to come forward and say what scientific basis do they have for continuing to block these imports. And we don't yet have a response from China, but uh, if they want to stay in the WTO, they will have to respond one way or another, which we will keep an eye out for going forward. Well, and since you brought up China there, it, it seems like we now have a confirmed case or a couple outbreaks of African swine fever in the Philippines. It sounds like maybe the disease is slowing or starting to slow the spread in China, but it does continue to make its way to other countries. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's 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 slowing in China because they've completed massive herd right. liquidation. But you're exactly right. I mean, as it continues to spread to other countries, we will continue to see more and more of these stories coming out of Southeast Asia. I'm that uh, that makes me remember, too, I've been floating around with the Iowa pork producers this week, and I asked them, I said, you know, those videos that we saw a while back of the hog herds that were being burned and buried alive, I'm like, do you think those are really true? And they're like, oh, absolutely. Like, we have inside sources that confirmed it for us. You know, it's gross, and it's obviously a gross misconduct of animal handling, but unfortunately, those videos seem to be true. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that is sad. It is very sad. Another thing that's a little sad, I was surprised by this uh, this article, and oh, granted it's by USA Today, so maybe some facts are left out, but it seems that Dairy Management, which is a nonprofit promoting dairy, the dairy organization, they found that this group is spending nearly $160 million a year collected through federally mandated payments from dairy farmers. So part of the checkoff dollars are going to this nonprofit, and it's found that the group is paying out really large uh, salaries to their CEO. They found that U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, who serves as, uh, you know, a dairy representative there, was paid out quite a bit within that group as well. And, you know, I guess I'm not surprised by the numbers, but then it's like when you look at the fact that nationwide we've seen the number of dairy farmers plummet by nearly 20,000 farms over the past decade, and yet these folks continue to pay in checkoff dollars, and then these top dairy official, management officials, are getting such huge huge salaries. It's really heart-wrenching, I think. And it appears that last year, of all the commodities, checkoff dollars combined, so that's over, I think, 20 different commodities, 15 or 20 different commodity groups, they collected an a combined $895 million to promote various commodities. And of that, 47% came from dairy producers. Dairy producers are required to pay 15 cents per 100 pounds of milk sold compared to um, beef and pork, which pork 
prices or pork producers are paying about 40 cents per hundred dollars and beef producers pay only about seven cents per hundred dollars marketed so I, I was super surprised by that number to learn because dairy is one of the hardest industries to make a true profit in right now yeah yeah it certainly is i heard that article yesterday and it certainly is thought-provoking and i think we're going to see as this ag economy continues to suffer we're going to see a lot of calls to change the way checkoff organizations are funded change the way they're managed and you know i've been a member of the iowa cattlemen's association we've supported the checkoff and i think the marketing programs can do a lot of good but at the same time if the farmers are supposed to be supporting are going broke how can you justify these expenses? So I, I think we're going to start to see some changes, Delaney. I think you're correct, Mike. Well, I tell you what, I don't have a whole lot of news today, Delaney. I'm traveling, and I just wasn't able to dig up a whole bunch. You've got uh, anything else? I do have one other quick update here. Looking at the EPA, RFS, etc. situation, Senator Chuck Grassley is at it again making comments to reporters and he told reporters in some comments, I believe just this morning, that it wasn't a problem for Obama to decide that he didn't need to give 30 waivers. He said that some, he, this is a direct quote, he said, something happened that former EPA chief Scott Pruitt got into the head of the EPA and the big oil had a big arm running the EPA and basically continues to go on and call out the Trump administration and said, he thinks that there's somebody advising the president within the White House or within the administration that maybe has some vested interests in the oil industry. He didn't go out and specifically call out who, but he said that whoever this person is or people are, are definitely advising the president or giving the president ill information, but he was very on fire today for, I guess, for, for Senator Grassley. It sounds like he was pretty heated. Yeah, well, and I think he's exactly right. I think we kind of know for a fact that somebody is in this administration really tooting the horn for uh, the oil industry and in a way that we haven't seen tooted in D.C. in quite a while. Yes, I'm I'm curious to know who that is or who those people are. But like I said, he didn't call them out. So I don't know if he knows or not. But... All right. Well, before we jump into the markets, I mentioned earlier that it was a turnaround Tuesday, and it was really motivated by an article that was published this morning in the South China Morning Post. Um, apparently, there's conversation currently going on within the Chinese government that they would like to see a trade deal. And in order to put themselves in a position to maybe make a little more progress before these October talks, they're floating the idea of really stepping in and aggressively buying more ag products. We don't have a list or really any details, but it was enough hope that it really brought a lot of the folks who have been selling commodities hard back in to cover their short positions and, and kind of take their profits. And it was an impressive move, Delaney, in, uh, in Chicago today. Well, tell us a little bit more about it, Mike. Absolutely, folks. Let's see where we wrapped up on the day. As I mentioned, we were down this morning. We were up a little bit in the overnight. Corn conditions dropped 3% in the good to excellent category yesterday, which the trade was not anticipating. So that spurred corn a little higher in the overnights. And then we just took off like a rocket. Corn, September contract up seven and three quarters at 348 and a half, with the December contract up seven and a quarter, finishing the day at 361 and a half. In soybeans, the September contract up 14 and a quarter cents on the day, closed at 859. 
nine and a quarter. November also up fourteen and a quarter to finish the day at eight seventy two even. Wheat wasn't left out today. The September contract was up a dime at four eighty four and a half, with December up seven and three quarters, closing at four eighty two and a quarter. Looking at livestock, they also got some love today. In live cattle, the October contract was up $1.95 at ninety six fifteen, with December up $2 and a nickel to finish at one oh one twenty two fifty. In feeder cattle, the September contract was up $1.0750 at one thirty three ninety, with the October up $1.22 half, closing the day at one thirty one oh five. And in lean hogs, the October contract up twelve and a half cents. Off the off the highs of the day quite a little bit there at the close finished at sixty two seventy two fifty the December up a dollar eighty two and a half to finish at sixty one seventy seven and a half and during the day the dairy industry also got some love the September contract was up twelve cents at eighteen nineteen with the October up twenty two at eighteen fifteen and that's where the markets wrapped let's turn it over to Delaney's conversation for our hashtag Tech Tuesday interview segment. Well, for today's Tech Tuesday interview, I'm very excited welcoming Kevin Hikes of Intent. Maybe some of you follow them on Twitter at Intent Tag. But Kevin, first of all, thanks so much for joining today. No, it's a pleasure to be here. I always enjoy learning about new podcasts and you know, I talk a lot about, I think podcasts are one of the mediums of the future and it's a, a medium that you can get quality information, and I think that uh, agriculture is one that can benefit from it. So I, I applaud you on your efforts and, and keep uh, keep putting out the good content. Oh, well, that's like a perfect infomercial. We might have to use that for something someday. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> but, uh, absolutely. Tell us a little bit more about intent because I want to just spell it out for our listeners who obviously can't see this. It's spelled I-N-10. T, but pronounced intent. Kevin, how did you get the name or go about the name for your company? Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a funny story. So my co-founder, Randy Barker, and I, when we first started talking about the company, uh, we kind of looked at our backgrounds, and, and Randy had a, a long run with, uh, with Monsanto. We'd been in different ag companies. And my background, I had worked for a lot of farms. So I started with Farmland Industries. I have worked with farms.com, uh, then we worked with uh, Farms Technology, helped build that organization, and then worked with uh, a company in Kansas City called FarmLink. And we talked, and we said, you know, as we think about the company, how do we be intentional about data, and, and what is the name? And you always come back to ag and farm, ag this or farm that. And we said, let's, let's flip the model on its head, and let's say that we believe there's a lot of data in agriculture, but what we believe, companies and farmers alike have told us, there's enough information, but let's help make sense of it. So we said, let's be intentional with data. And so if you look at IN10T, zeros and ones are data, uh, that's intentional data. So it, all, it sounded perfect. It's like oh. everything you know, in startup land. It's like, you know, uh, you draw it up on the whiteboard, it makes sense. And then from the last almost four years, every time we go to check into the hotel, every time we have a conversation, you end up spelling it like four times. And so we joke about it now, but it's either going to be one of the best names that we've ever came up with or one of the, the worst names, but uh, it is simply being intentional with data. Oh, that's really creative. I like the coding thing. I didn't even think about that. Interesting. Interesting. So being intentional with data, your Twitter handle says, using analytics to solve adoption challenges in agriculture. Break that down for me. What does that mean? What are you guys doing? 
Yeah, so kind of going back to, to Randy's background and mine and working with startups and large organizations, the problem that we solve and what we kept hearing time and time again was, um, you know, when companies develop products, and these are products that either uh, whether from a seed to a, a chemical program to a fertilizer program to a micronutrient to a microbe, they spend a lot of time and they do a lot of research, but what companies are looking for is, will this product be adopted? So the time and energy that I've spent on this, will it be adopted at the farm level? And at what rate? That's, that's what companies continually are asking. And at the end of the day, whether you're the CEO or someone in sales, those are the metrics that you're measuring. And so the intent business model is all set up to say, how do we help figure out will products be adopted? You have to now take intent and look at the other side of the equation. So the other brand that we have, uh, we, we developed the most uh, complicated brand in agriculture, which is intent. And then we said, from the farmer's side, how do we make this as simple as possible? And what we said is, in order to figure out what's going to be adopted, let's, again, flip the model on its head and work with farmers. Let's put farmers first. So the idea is, let's let farmers be part of different trials when we're looking at products and practices. And every company does this. They put trials out there. But we were very intentional. We said, okay, if we're going to put farmers at the center of this, there's three ways that you can approach in the simplest form of trial with farmers. One is you can give them product for free. The second one is you can charge a farmer. And the third thing is you can pay them. And we tell companies this all the time. The worst thing that you can do is give product away. Because as soon as you give product away, that means that the product, the value of whatever the trial, the experiment, the product is, is at zero. And it gets treated that way. So we said we're either going to charge or we're going to pay. And what you realize for both Randy and I and the time that we've been involved in this space is that collecting farm data and working with farmers is it's, it's labor intensive on, on the grower's behalf. So we said, what if we actually developed protocols and we worked with growers and we compensated them to be part of these? Because at the end of the day, I, I've already mentioned that companies are trying to figure out will products and practices get adopted? Farmers, all they're looking to do is, does this product work on my farm? And if someone will help them and, and help them with their data and help them evaluate these products, that's what they're looking to do. And what we know is whether they're collecting da data from my John Deere or through FieldView, we work with whatever system they use, but we know that it is an extra step. And so we want to compensate them for their time because we need their help to figure out what products and practices are working. So we're compensating growers and we're working with businesses and we're helping businesses figure out uh, what is the adoption, how long is this going to take to get adopted, and we're helping farmers figure out, does this work on my specific farm? I want to talk a little bit more about the adoption process because it just cracks me up on your website. You have the diffusions of innovation model, and I took a college course during my master's program, and we talked about that. It was the diffusions of innovation, and I thought, I will never see this model. I will never use this model in my life, and then there it is on your website. Um, Kevin, tell us a little bit about that. How do you know or how do you... I guess, foresee, forecast into the future to decide will this product or this service or this company make it through those stages of the diffusion process or the adoption process? Yeah, uh, there's a couple things to look at. And, and one of the things, uh, I'll, I'll give you a couple of analogies. One is we talk a lot about art and science, okay? So I have a lot of friends and and colleagues that we work with on the coast. They're really smart, they're, they're data scientists and developers, and they're, they're really smart, and they're living completely in the science world. 
and they look at a problem, they look at agriculture and say, this completely makes sense. Why doesn't the whole world just use that? And then I look at my dad in the middle of uh, Southern Colorado, and he walks the fields every day, and it's complete art. And so my dad's like, I don't need someone to tell me through a model uh, how this is going to work because I see it. And we kind of sit in the middle. And, and when you look at adoption, it, it's like you have to be able to understand what the science can do. You have to understand where we can go. And you also have to appreciate the art because in agriculture, it's not people ask, why does adoption take longer? Well, the biggest reason is that we get one chance a year to try something. So whether you're selling calves in the fall or you're producing corn, um, you get one time a year to plant seed. Hopefully this year, maybe we had a couple, but you get one time a year to plant seed. You're not going to try something completely new on all of your acres the first time. So we have to be, we have to understand the art of how the industry works. So we kind of merge both of those together. That's the first thing that I'd point out when we think about adoption. The other thing and if you take anything away from, from this conversation today, this is what I've learned. And, and Randy has done an amazing job just kind of with all of our company and all the team members. He talks about this all the time. It's so important. People say from an adoption standpoint, if you run a trial or if you have data that says, hey, here's, let's just split a field and in half the field it worked and in half the field it didn't work. Man, we've got data. Let's, let's go use this. And then what happens is you'll see companies take out full paid ads and say, okay, eight bushels per acre. And the farmers don't believe that because they say, if every one of these worked at eight bushels or 10 bushels per acre, I'd be producing four to 600 bushel corn, right? What we start to see is it's product performance is very important. It's got to come out of small plot. You've got to have research. You've got to know that these products that we're producing work. But on top of that, there's a whole other element, and this is where we spend as much time as we do on the product performances. You've got to be able to listen to growers, and there's a perception thing. And we listen to growers. So we go to the field. We, we take GoPros to the field. We, we do surveys, and we just listen. Our job is to not prove that this product works. Our job is to run a really good trial and to understand, does this product work on this farm, and how does the grower perceive it? Because there's a lot of times that the grower may get a, a, a bushel gain or they may see some at, uh, advantage throughout the season, but for whatever reason, they did not perceive that it helped them, it slowed them down, it was hard to apply, there were challenges to the product, and they're not going to pay to use that. There are other products that you see that maybe don't have a yield benefit at the end of the year, but they see greenness, they see plant health, they see things throughout the season that make them perceive that it's a better product. So what we talk about all the time is that it has to be product performance and it also has to be farmer perception. And those two combined mm -hmm. are how adoption happens. And I, I think a lot of companies maybe look at one or the other. It's just pure marketing or it's just pure research and analytics. And to us, we have to blend both of those. And that's where we focus is where those two converge. And I'm guessing you do some of that conversion with your farmer trials. Tell me about the process of enlisting producers or farmers to test these products or to engage with these products and their reactions when they're working with you guys. I'll give you the funny answer first. You know, the idea is if you build it, they'll come. So all you <laughs> have to do is build a website, farmertrials.com. And you tweet about it a few times and everyone and comes and signs up and, and, and applies, right? So, so that's the, that's the uh, small business entrepreneur vision of, of how you might think it works. But the reality is that this is a relationship business. And this starts back in 2017 when we went to um, 
you know, 35 farmers that we knew and friends. And these go back to relationships from AFA. So I think about Jill Mathewitz. These go back to agronomists. I think about uh, um, uh, Jason DeWall. I think about Bill McDonald. I think about people that we've met. I think about Jake and Cassie Meach. There's all these people throughout the Midwest that we've met. And the first year you talk about running this trial, and they're like, oh, how's that going to go? You know, and, and we took really good care of those first 40. And then those 40, we developed what's called our ag tech network. So Kyle Marr and our team does an amazing job leading this ag tech network. And these are individuals in the, in the market that know which growers have uh, what kinds of equipment, which growers are interested in different kinds of trials. They're, the really, they're really the boots on the ground, right? And so they're able to be entrepreneurial. They're able to take these trials. And you have to go through at least one season to kind of see how this works. Then once you do that, then the entrepreneur network kind of spreads. And now people are looking at us like they understand that um, we're going to bring quality trials to them, that we vet the companies that we're working with. And we continue to improve. I can tell you that when we first started, our data collection and how we looked at protocols, uh, there was a lot of room for improvement. And, and all of us, you know, we've got uh, almost 20 members on the team right now. And, and our, our technology team looks at what we're doing and they're like, we want to do this so much better. And, and we applaud that, but we look back to where we started. And so, you know, even in the very beginning, you heard using tools like Dropbox. Well, now we're, we've converted to tools like AWS and you're using uh, platforms that are standardized systems. Those come with cost, but I think that network grows. The way that that farmer network grows is by word of mouth, number one, and by constantly improving. And, and I think the biggest thing is we listen to growers. I mean, not everything goes well, but being on the phone, being available by email, via text. Um, and, and if we listen and, and hear what they have to say, um, that's how this thing has grown from 40 farmers in, in 2017 to now there's uh, between 1,000 and 1,200 growers in our network. So we're not trying to have the most farmers. We're trying to have growers that are the innovators and growers that want to, to work and, and look at new products, products and be evaluating things that uh, will be part of the future. Well, it's going to be really exciting to see some of this stuff unroll. Are there any products or services coming down the pipeline that just really have you jazzed up about agriculture? Yeah, so that's a question that we get all the time. And, and I think everyone, farmers and, and all of us, we want like the silver bullet, right? So if I could go and, and pick this seed or if I could go and pick that, you know, what is the one thing that I need to do? And the thing that, um, that I, you know, I, and I can just hear Randy, my, my partner saying this all the time, it depends. Every product, um, everything that we look at, you know, it depends. Other than, you know, when you look at nitrogen or water, you know, components like that that we know increase yield. The rest of agriculture, it depends on so many different variables, and it depends on the year. And this year was an anomaly in terms of how, how late we were and how much rain we had. And, and every year there, there's something new that comes into the equation. And I think that's where a company like ours and how we're approaching this is unique. And the fact that I, I, I can't tell you that if you go just do this product, it's going to change your farming operation. But I can tell you that you got to look at it holistically and you got to think about it from the beginning to the end. And you got to think about, you know, your, your, your seed program. You got to think about your, your nutrient program. You got to think about your, your uh, equipment program. You got to think about all this together. And then you got to look at how am I collecting data? How am I analyzing it? And at the end, how am I making decisions to make them better? So um, unfortunately, it depends. And I think that there are a lot of really cool technologies and innovations coming down the pipeline. But because farmers can't test them all, 
that's why uh, an organization like ours exists. We help set up the trials and, and help these uh, uh, farmers see what works and, uh, and help companies figure out uh, how they're going to work on different farms. Before I let you go, Kevin, tell our listeners how they can find out more information about Intent, either online or through social media. Yeah, especially for farmers, because this is much easier and where you can go to learn about paid trials. We've got already some 2020 trials going right now for uh, uh, wheat growers, and we'll continue to be announcing trials. So I would go to farmertrials.com. Again, that's farmertrials.com. If you go to that website, you can see our paid opportunities. If nothing else, if you just drop your email address on that landing page, then you'll be alerted to paid trials. Again, you know, it, it's a way just to be in the loop in terms of what uh, paid opportunities are coming along and, and some of the things that we're looking at. So farmertrials.com. If you're more on the business side and you want to understand from analytics, you know, what our company is and, and how we approach the, the, the business side, uh, it's intent.ag, I-N-1-0-T.ag, intent.ag. So either one of those can reach out to us, but I would definitely say for growers and farmers that are looking for cool projects and want to be alerted for what's coming next year. I know that we're just moving into harvest, but we're already thinking about 2020, uh, farmertrials.com. That we are. 2020 is right around the corner. Crazy to think. Kevin, thanks so much for sharing about Intent today. Absolutely. I appreciate you having us on the show and, uh, you know, good luck. I said, con continue doing this. I mean, I think podcasts and what uh, the ways that farmers can, can access uh, this information is, is going to be really powerful. So I just applaud you on this and, and really uh, hope you can con continue to grow and, and uh, keep providing this uh, quality service. All right. Well, again, a big thank you there to Kevin. Do check out his their Twitter profile there. It's got some good stuff. And you can also check out other Twitter profiles, such as the Ag News Daily Twitter account, Facebook account, or Instagram account, if you'd like to keep up, keep in the know with Ag News Daily. Absolutely, folks. Get on there. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, visit agnewsdaily.com. You'll find all of our previous episodes up there, as well as um, our fellow podcasters in the world of agriculture who are all part of the Global Ag Network. Be sure to check all of them out. Download them, favor them, bookmark them, and tune in early and often. With that, Delaney Howell, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.